Ah, thank you, gentlemen. John, choir, orchestra, bless the Lord uh, this day. Take your Bible. Let's go to Acts 17. And we'll begin in a moment in verse 22 as we're making our way through uh, the book of Acts in these uh, morning worship times. And so today, uh, Paul is leaving Thessalonica. Uh, got in a, uh, he got in trouble. And they took him down as far as the city limits, and two guys took him all the way to Athens, almost 200 miles. And he's waiting there for, Sil- uh, for Timothy uh, to come uh, and Silas to join him. But he's made his way to Athens, into Greece, Asia Minor, getting ready to take the gospel into Eastern Europe. And that would crisscross that continent and later, of course, come uh, even to the land where we are here today. In Acts 17, uh, Paul is in Athens, and the Bible says he's waiting. And he's just looking around at this city filled up with idols all on every side. And he began to talk to some people. He uh, began to converse about the resurrected Lord. And they said, we won't talk to you about this. So we have a place where uh, we put people up and uh, let them speak and come go. And they brought him down to the Oropagus, to Mars Hill. Some of you have been there. I've been there. And, uh, that uh, public speaker stand where in the uh, Athens they would put these people up all kinds of different philosophies and religions thoughts people stand up and there they'd speak and they they thrust Paul up in front of them and Paul begins to speak we find him in Acts 17 verse 22 you follow along because this now is the word of our great God so Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription. (laughs) To the unknown God, just in case you missed one. They had a God for everything. They were God known to man. They had idols and temples. Paul said, I found one that just said, to the unknown God. Maybe we didn't know his name. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. You talk about the unknown God, let me tell you about him. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. They would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. You tell you, friend, he's in this room today. And in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. For we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent 
Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, we'll hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius, the Oropagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Ladies and gentlemen, America, like Athens, is full of idols and false gods. They're all around us. You don't have to look far to find the idols and the false gods. Paul ran into two groups of people, and I think they epitomize America as much as any two groups ever. In verse 18, among them were the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. You'll find some restaurants named the Epicurean. The Epicureans believed in joy, lighthearted. Everything make you happy. That was the Epicurean way of life. That's the American way of life. Brings a smile, makes you joyful. If it's fun, your money, your sports, your gatherings, your festivals, you don't have to look far. Mardi Gras coming right around the corner. Let's get drunk for Jesus. Foolishness. Atheistic. So, oh, no, no, oh, yes, yes. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Our land is filled with false gods. And idols, not temples as much as Athens. We've built our own temples. We don't put gods in them. We just bow down at the feet of dancers and singers and actors. The Epicureans. The other side are the Stoics. They're not as many in number, but they are more influential. These are the rationalists. These are the thinkers. These are the book writers. These are the college teachers oftentimes that will not name the name of God. As a matter of fact, if you bring up God, they'll say, how do you know he exists? They say, well, God made me. They say, well, who made God? They'll bring all of their rationalistic thought to you. And Athens was filled as our Classrooms are filled even today. And they called Paul to Mars Hill. They said, you're talking about a God that raised from the dead. We want to hear about this. And so Paul goes down to the Oropagus and he takes his stand at Mars Hill there on the speakers. right, And he begins to unveil the one true God. Ladies and gentlemen, you hear this Baptist preacher. 
There's only one God, and you're not it, but Jehovah is his name. There's just one God. There's just one God. Only one God. You say, that's narrow. Yes, indeed. It's as narrow as the Word of God is. There is but one God. And Jehovah is his name. He became flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, who lived and died and rose again. Paul is talking about, that's what got him to the speaker's stand. When he talked about in verse 18, he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They said, mm-hmm, we don't hear more about this. Some guy died and got up. Yeah, we, we won't hear about that. And so the Epicureans and the Stoics and everybody else came to listen to Paul. What did Paul say to them about the only true God? Well, let's look and see what Paul said. Apply it to our life and give God's appeal to come and know him today. First of all, he said that the one true God is creator. Notice in verse 24, he stood up and he said, The God who made the world and all things in it. Amen. The only true God is is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, you came into being. God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. He is the creator he made the world and everything in it he made you you women he made you you men he made you little babies my lord there ain't nothing like that he's the creator you say well if that's where we came from where'd God come from the Bible tells us he always has been and God's eternal I mean, just think about a watermelon. We get a watermelon. Take a little brown seed and stick it in the ground. Right amount of water, right amount of sunshine. That seed takes off its jacket, and this little deal pops up through the ground. Vine, and after a little while, this little melon starts coming. It's got on a green coat. You take off its green coat, and it's got a white rind. You take off a rind, it's got wonderful red meat in it. Green, white, red. Who in the world came up with that? You didn't. I didn't. God did. We take that busted oat and eat it, and then we get one of those little seeds, we take it and we stick it back in the ground, takes off his jacket, little thing. And this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. 63 million in the last 50 years, Americans have allowed 63 million preborn babies to be slaughtered. I want to show you a three minute video from one of our church members, my good friend, Dr. Bill Lyle. He's a doctor, he'll introduce himself. In these three minutes, I want you just to listen. Uh, Bill's preaching today. He's in Gainesville and Jacksonville preaching, coming back, go back to work tonight and tomorrow. And he hits the road. He's not here very much. I see him. He'll sit right back here, usually in first church, and he'll have on those green scrubs. I see he come in. He's just come from delivering a baby. Every now and then I'll see him jump up and run out, and I think, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, his, his phone went off. He, I said, God help him. He's headed off over there to help some lady. 
Amen. Listen to what Bill's got to say. I think, I think it'll help you as we think about Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, 2023. I'm Dr. Bill Lyle and I practice obstetrics and gynecology and over the years I have delivered over 4,000 babies. Welcome today because today is special because this is the first Sanctity of Human Life Sunday since the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Since 1973 we have lost over 60 3 million babies' lives because of abortion. And abortion at its very core is an attack against the image of God. Genesis 1:26 says, after God created all the heavens and the earth, all the mammals, all the birds, and everything on this planet, God paused and he said, let us make man in our image. And that is all of us. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, and we were all created in the image of God. And we weren't created in the image of God on the day we were born. We were created in the image of God at that moment of conception. When we look at 63 million lives, that is doing evil in the sight of the Lord, destroying the image of God. And this is what the attack is. It's an attack against the image of God out of a hatred for God himself. We look at Psalm 139 where we are miraculously knit together in our mother's womb. The psalmist didn't understand about cell differentiation and fetal development. He just knew that it was knit together in the mother's womb. From the moment of conception when one cell from the mom and one cell from the dad get together, at that moment that is a unique new person. Unique from the mom, unique from the dad, unique from the other eight billion people on the planet. And then we go from one one cell to two cells to four, eight, 16, 32, 64, developing into different systems, cardiovascular system, neurological system, skeletal systems. 18 days after conception, we can actually see the heart beating and the heart is pumping blood from the baby to the placenta where the mom is and then back. And the babies not only have different genetics, but often the babies can even have a different blood type. It's really a matter of not just a choice. It is a matter of patients' rights and being created in the image of God. You say, well, why patients' rights? Because we treat the babies in the womb as patients. And a patient is a person, no matter how small. And I really think that God is looking and saying, you have this amazing opportunity. We have reversed Roe versus Wade. What is the church going to do to defend my preborn, to discuss the gift of salvation and forgiveness, and to provide healing for not only the church, but those outside of the church? Because if the truth is not going to be heard from our pulpits, where do we expect to hear the truth? So the church needs to engage, and the church doesn't just need to know the truth. The church needs to speak the truth. They need to stand up for the preborn. They need to say this is wrong, but they also need to discuss about forgiveness and healing. See how you can get engaged. And if you have any questions, you can contact me, Dr. Bill Lyle, through our website, which is prolifedoc.org. God bless you, and thank you for setting aside Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Amen, Bill. Yeah. Dr. Lau works with uh, Dr. Dobson and others producing uh, these videos. And if you go to Pro Life 
doc, D-O-C dot org. Uh, there, that's the three minute. There's a seven minute and there's also an 11 minute video. Some of you could use in classrooms or homeschooling or wherever you might uh, look at it just with your family or for your own edification. Uh, just go there and uh, learn about uh, the creator and how he made us. He made you and you and you. He made all of us in his image. He made you special. I mean, just kind of turn your head and look around all these people in this room this morning. Just, just look around. I can see everybody because of my line of sight. But You notice nobody looks like you? That's because you're special. Every now and then there's a twin or a triplet. Sometimes there are things we have in common, but God made you. He created you. My goodness, what a day it was. When I was invited, when our second child was born, to come into that room, and that baby was born. And when they handed me that child, I I said, what is it? I didn't know what to do, but I held it up close, and I took our son and laid it on my wife's shoulder. As a day like no other for us. We had had two days where we had become pregnant, but the baby did not come to term. We struggled through. What do we do and how do we do? And the baby's not formed. And there are all kind of health issues. But there is something else at work in our culture when the child is perfect and will be born and will come and we snuff out the life. Sixty-three million in 50 years. Thank God for those that have voted to reverse this Roe v. Wade. But we're not done. We have things to do. But this morning, just understand, we don't give life and we don't take life. We trust the great life giver because, as Paul said, the one true God is the creator. Not only is he the creator, this text tells us that he's the sovereign Lord. Look at it in verse 24 where it said, God made the world and all in it, and then he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. God does not live in a temple. We we don't uh, make a shrine and then put God in it. No, God does not live in a temple made with human hands. God lives within us, and he occupies the throne of heaven. He is is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is curious. He is Lord. He is God. He is King. And He is the one who is sovereign in all of our life. You're not in charge. You could not even draw breath next if God did not allow it. He has made you. And He is sovereign over you. The one true God. He's the creator. The one true God. He is sovereign Lord. Number three, the one true God is governor. Now don't miss this. He is the governor of the universe. Notice verse number 26. And he made from one man, that's Adam, 
every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him or find him, though he's not far. Don't miss that. He's not far from each one of us. It's the Apostle Paul. God's there. You call on him, and, and God is, is there. He is the governor of the universe. And from one man, Adam, he has formed every nation. The face of the, Hear me today. There is no master race. That's what got the Germans in trouble with God in the world. We're superior to everyone else. The Romans came to that conclusion. We are superior. No, 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 friend. From Adam came all. That's why down in the preschool from time to time we'll sing that little song. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. And if they're precious down there, they ought to be precious in here. I was standing here greeting people early this morning, and it came to me. I, I forgot to put on my microphone. And so I took my trek around. I was early, and I came back to put on this headset. And as I came, there was a family coming to the door and another family coming down the hall. And they both had little girls, and they were just about this tall. And when they saw each other, I froze and stopped. And I watched them, and they went running to each other. And those two little girls grabbed each other around the neck and hugged each other. And I told the parents, I said, man, isn't it good? Isn't it grand to have friends in church? They did a little dance had a big time. Friend, there is no master race. Those kids, no matter what color they are down there in that room, they'll hug each other. You, you got to come up here and meet somebody to tell you that it's not right. You, you got to be taught to be prejudiced. And if they're red, yellow, black, and white all down there and they love each other, red, yellow, black, and white all to love each other in here. We've come through a bunch of stuff in our history of our nation, even the history of our church. But Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 8 tells us, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. It is God that is the sovereign. It is God that is the governor of the universe. You're not in charge. Everybody ought to say Amen. Well, I'm not in charge, and you ought to say amen louder than you just said it. Amen. We're not. God is the sovereign. He is in charge. He has said it in front of us. He is the governor of the universe, and he has made us all of the human race. Thank God he is the creator. Thank God he is the sovereign. Thank him that he is the governor as he governs everything going on among us. The fall came, and sin has darkened our heart, and we need redemption we have that through the blessed Lord Jesus. Mm. He is the governor. But number four, the one true God 
is also the judge of all. Notice this 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should, what's that word? Repent. Say it out loud with me. Everyone should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. He is the judge. Listen to me. Everyone, everyone here, everyone watching by television, internet, radio, wherever you are on the Warrington campus, every, all of us will stand before the judgment. If you're saved, you'll stand at one judgment, and he will judge your works, whether they be righteous or unrighteous. For the others that are lost and unrepentant and unredeemed, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you but we will all stand before the judgment there is only one that is able to judge we do a whole lot of judging in our world we do need discernment to discern what is right and wrong we have to make calls from time to time but all is said and done there is but one judge of the universe he is the same one who was the creator of the universe. He is the same one who was the sovereign Lord and the governor of the universe. He will be the judge. And he calls you today to repent. Metanoia, that word in the Greek New Testament means you're going in one direction. You are to turn about face and go another direction. You're going away from God. And he calls you to repent and come to God. If today you are not a follower of Christ and you are going away from God, he calls you to turn and repent and come to him. God says, come unto me, and I will save. And if you come and hear the word of God, and he begins as he did with Lydia, opening your heart, and you turn and you come to him in repentance. But not only does he call the lost to repent, he calls the church. Your friend, if you've got hatred in your heart toward a brother, you need to run to the altar and repent today. If you've got sin in your life you've not confessed, you need to confess it unto the Lord. You need to repent. You're walking in a direction away from holy God. Repent. If you're coming to church and doing a religious thing but not with your heart, repent. It is the first word of the gospel every time you find it. Repent, 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 repent. To the unredeemed, turn and come to God. For those that are redeemed, to make sure that you are walking after the Father. Repent, repent. Not only does he say repent, but he says that he is the man of resurrection. And we find that in verse 18, that he preached Jesus and the resurrection. That's why they wanted to hear him. When you get down to this text in verse 31, uh, he's furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Hallelujah for the resurrection. God raised him from the dead as the redeemer of the universe. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. There is nothing I can do to save myself. God hath done it. He, he is the Redeemer. He's the Resurrector. He is the Judge. And we shall all stand. Well, Paul finished. Hmm. He got ready for his appeal. And 
Verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. <laughs> resurrection. The preacher said he was walking down the road and God struck him blind. He got up and this Jesus talked to him. <laughs> what a load of poles. They just sneered. We live in a world that sneers at the message of resurrection. You walk in a college classroom today, they'll sneer. Richard Dawkins will sneer. Sam Harris, his writings will sneer. Bertrand Russell, all of these are put before our college and master's level students. Anne Rand, I probably hear from her writings more than anything else with college students wanting me to read and give answer to Rand's books, R-A-N-D. She says she's an atheist, but at least she's not militant, she says. Not a militant atheist. She's dead and gone now, but she didn't believe in Christ or God. Hmm. You walk in a college classroom, you'll face that. And there'll be those, if you stand on the campus of the University of West Florida, they will sneer at you. If your name is Tony Dungy and you've been a coach in the NFL and you stand at the Right for Life March in Washington and just to give a testimony, you will have people from ESPN call for you to be fired because they sneer at you. I challenge you, dear friends, stand for the gospel. Stand. Even though there is sneering going on at you. But there was a second group. Not just those that sneered. There were those that postponed. <laughs> they said, verse 32, well, we'll hear you again. Come back and we'll talk some more at a later time. <laughs> People all the time, they hear the gospel. They say, I don't want to put it off. Well, I ought to get right with God. Well, maybe next week. I talked with a gentleman Thursday, and then I called him yesterday and followed up and, and said, if you come to Christ, uh, yeah, have you gone public? He said, well, I've, I've never gone forward. I've, I've never gone public. He said, I've been in church many times, and I've thought about doing it, but I just hadn't done it. Many of you, you sit here week after week after week after week after week, and you hear the gospel, and you get right to the line and say, mm, no, not today. You don't go out sneering. You just go out postponing. Hear me today. The Word of God says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. There are two men. They sit in our early service on the back row right back here in this section. I love these two men. I don't know why. They, they wear these cool leather hats. They're old men. Much older than I am. I talk to them almost every Sunday. I come in for early church. They're always early. I went by today, and I said, hey, how you doing? They said, Pastor, how you doing this week? And I was a little smart aleck with them. I said, well, I don't know about this week. I can only live today. He looked back at me, and he said, well, I hope you have a good week. I said, well, I, I repent. I'm sorry. I was just popping off. I knew what I was fixing to preach on. I better get cleaned up before I got up here. <laughs> but we were just having fun. 
But you know, in reality, you can't live tomorrow today. And you can't live yesterday. The only day you got is today. The only hour you have is this hour. Now is the time. You say, well, I want to think about it. You already know what you ought to be about. The Spirit of God has wrought conviction in your heart and your soul, and you know the Spirit of God is wooing you and calling you. So today, come. I talked to another man uh, this week. Well, on Thursday, we talked, and, and, and he just said, well, I've, I've been, but I've never been forward. I, I went to another man's house yesterday. I just felt led the Spirit of the living God to go. I've shared the gospel with him before, but I went, and he's getting older and older and older. Old enough almost to be my father. And I just went and took him by the hand just one more time. One more time. I just want to share the gospel. Not now. When Paul preached, some sneered. Others postponed. They said, we'll, we'll, we'll hear you another time. I challenge you today, I encourage you today, don't, don't wait another time. God's drawing you, come today. As he said, he's near you, come. But then Paul went out and some men joined him and believed. Even in Athens, and he names them. He said in verse 34, among whom also was Dionysius the Areopagite. Now this guy was a dude in Mars Hill. He's part of the Areopagus. Maybe he's the mayor, I don't know. Maybe he's on the council. Maybe he's on a committee. But everybody knew this dude. And, and Dionysius came, and when they spoke his name, oh my goodness. And for some of you, if you take your stand for Christ, it will cost you. It, because people know you. But not only will it cost, you, you will have great influence. Because your sphere of influence is larger than some others. This was Dionysius. He came and believed and God changed his life. Then there was a lady that came. Her name, according to the text in verse 34, was Demarius. Now you know that a woman in that culture was very low. She could not have been a part of Mars Hill. No. She probably had to sit outside. But as Paul walked away, Demarius came. Hallelujah. If you come today, my, many people may not know who you are. But God knows. And then thirdly, not only Dionysius come and Damaris come, and the Bible says, and others. Others with them. <laughs> you don't even know their name. You say, well, they're not very important. <laughs> well, they got mentioned in this book. That's, that's pretty big time. Others came. I have people, it seems like it's more ladies than, than anybody. They'll walk up to me and they'll say, Pastor, do, do you know my name? Now, I'm just asking you by all fair trade, don't do me that way. Uh, I, I don't know everybody's name, okay? Nor do you know everybody's name. But if you get in a small group, somebody will know your name. Amen. And, and that's good. But my classic deal is when that lady comes up to me, she'll say, Pastor, do you know my name? I said, well, no, but can I have your purse? And I'll open it up, and, and I say, can I find your wallet? I said, if we find your driver's license, we can find out who you are. We can know. <laughs> and so she laughs like you laugh. And I don't always know, but let me tell you, friend, before the foundation of the world, God wrote your name in a book. 
Before you were, he knew who you were. Before you ever come to him, he knows you're going to come. He's the God of the universe. He knows everything. He's sovereign. How do you figure it out? I don't have to figure it out. I tell you a thousand times I'm not in management, I'm in sales. And Paul gives us heaven's knowledge and words that we ought to cling to. God knew us. He foreknew us. Hallelujah. Then he said, believe. We bring those two things together. God calls you to trust him and to come. <laughs> I, I, I can't help people to do what I just try to encourage. I had a young preacher asked me this week, he said, how was things at Olive Life Week? I said, well, it was pretty good. I, I said, we had one, we had two baptized, one here, one at Warrington, and we had five people that came, moved their membership, and three others that got saved and come for baptism, two that left and said they mad as Hades and they never coming back. They said, really? I said, yeah. I, it was just one of those Sundays. I said, it doesn't happen very often, but uh, they just... I said, it really happened to you too? I said, well, yeah. I said, I'm not in charge of how they can feel. I don't know how to do that. I try to love, but sometimes it don't work. Sales, management, that's his business, not mine. I, I, I do all I can, but when God touches Dionysius, he comes. Damaris, she come, and then others that we didn't even know their name. This morning, he is the God of creation. He made you. He is sovereign Lord. He is in charge of the very breath you breathe. He's the governor of the universe. He puts us in the place where we need to be. He is the one true God who is the judge of the all time, and we will all stand before him. In a moment, John's going to make his way here and start playing. And today, if you're like the Onesimus and you need to come, or Damaris, you'd come to Christ, come to the church. Maybe you just got mad in your heart against somebody out there this week and it's just been bad and you just need to confess that to the Lord and you need to come just kneel on this altar you're here and just need somebody to pray for you and while John's playing that instrument I want you just to get up everybody just just get up and come right now just just get up right now and come if you need to come to pray to know the Lord we'll help you right here just get up and come anybody need to come today